Hi, everybody. Welcome to RPG Pop Club. This is producer Eric. Before we start the episode, we wanted to take a moment to respond to some listener emails that we got in our inbox. Uh, the first email we have is from Mike. Uh, Mike is asking, uh, well, he, he says he's been collecting Star Trek RPGs since the first edition FASA days, and he has never heard of the shuttlecraft crash from our episode one, the slaver ruins, uh, or the drifting ring, which is coming up in a future episode. Just wondering where they came from. Uh, and Philip, can you enlighten us, please? Yeah. Wait, wait, first, wait, Philip, Mike, yeah. that is an amazing question. And I'm so excited you asked. Philip's going to tell you amazing things, but I'm excited. Mike, you're our second fan. Thank you so much. Yay. We hope you're listening to the podcast. If you've listened to the first two episodes, you probably know by now where the shuttlecraft crash and the slavery ruins like technically came from. But this is an interesting aspect that you bring up. There are Star Trek RPG fans who've been around since the early 80s who may not have heard of some of the things that we're reviewing. So a neat little like archaeological aspect to what we're doing. We're digging up some of the more obscure things. This is from those first two are from the 70s, uh, as you probably by now know. And um, there's a guy, Robert St. John, who runs a blog called Grocknard. And I think he was kind of the first to really do a chronological like look back and, and find all these things. So thank you to Robert St. John, great friend of the show. Um, and The Drifting Ring also um, was unearthed on Robert St. John's blog, is published in Japanese in 1983 in an RPG that they uh, officially licensed, our Star Trek RPG that they came out with in Japan called Enterprise. And Robert St. John actually translated that whole set into English and posted it for free on his blog about 10 years ago. So that might not have been something you heard about back in the day. Um, but yeah, now it's available to us, and it's kind of part of the history that we're integrating back in. And uh, a really neat part, really highly regarded. We're coming up on that one in a bit. Any thoughts uh, on that, Sarah Nicole? Um, yeah, I like the idea of RPG archaeology. We toyed with calling our podcast that for a second, right? Because we feel like that's yeah. kind of a big aspect of what we're doing here, right? Is doing this work also that so you guys don't have to so dear listeners we're hoping that we're playing through some of this and kind of finding what is amazing and hidden gems and hidden treasures and sharing it with you so we had another email uh this second email is from patrick uh he says that he's looking forward to hearing our opinion of uh, matter of conscience, and I think he might mean uh, ghosts of conscience. Um, it's a scenario that he runs at conventions to demonstrate the Star Trek Adventures rule set to new players. Uh, everyone seems surprised to hear it was published in the 1980s. Yeah, so this is the flip side of Mike's question. Patrick's been around too, and he he wants to hear about the module that he knows and loves, and it's the... Um, uh, Ghosts of Conscience. Great module we're just about to review, so we hope you enjoy our review, Patrick. And um, we'll be interested for you to get back with us with your thoughts um, uh, that might differ from ours. I think it's neat that you're still running that. You, you probably ran it back in the day. 
you've been through all the different RPGs like Decipher and stuff, and now you're running it for the current RPG, Star Trek Adventures, which is out in print, even instead of uh, whatever they're pu- publishing. So really cool. Yeah, thank you so much for emailing us, and we're excited to give that review to you guys. And I want to know what you think and how your opinions differ from ours, or if you think we missed anything when we talk about it. So please email back. Yeah. Yep. And that email address is rpgpopclub at gmail.com. You can also hit us up at our website, rpgpopclub.com. And now I think we're ready for an episode. What do you think? Yeah, do let's it. do it. All right, here we go. RPG Pop Club. RPG Pop Club. RPG Pop Club. RPG Pop Club. Yeah! Hi, I'm Philip Sokoloff. And I'm Sarah Nicole Carter. And this is RPG Pop Club. Each week we play a Star Trek tabletop RPG adventure, and then we review it. Today we are playing The Ghosts of Conscience. Yeah, we're joined today by one of our players, Dave Fowler, who plays our commander, Lieutenant Colin Mc... Mc- what is it? Lieutenant <laughs> Colin McDonald of Clan Ronald. Uh, I should have practiced that one. That's a tongue twister. How are you, Dave? I'm doing well, thank you. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so shall we jump right in? Let's do it. So the adventure we're running today or that we are reviewing today is Ghost of Conscience. And this was published by FASA. Um, FASA got the Star Trek license in the 80s, and they had it for pretty much all of the 80s. And uh, so this was 1983. This came in the um, the base rulebook set, Star Trek, the role-playing game. And uh, it came with an adventure book, which had three different adventures. So this was the first one in there. It's called Ghosts of Conscience, and it's by Guy McLemore. All right, now it's time for the segment we call Landing Party. <laughs> this is where we get to, le- to get to know all the members of the crew. And we actually have a few new members of the crew. Isn't that right? It is. So we had a new friend join us who we have played a lot of D&D with, and he finally agreed to come play. And he had never had any experience with Star Trek before. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dave, how, how have you not introduced Andre to Star Trek before? I always thought he had seen Star Trek. I, I didn't know that he was a Star Trek uh, virgin. <laughs> And then, in addition to Andre, we had several people die in the last adventure, so they all made new characters. So um, we're going to go ahead and introduce them. Real name, Dave. I play Lieutenant Colin McDonald of Clan Ronald. I am acting commander. Hi, I'm Ava, and I play Ensign Ingrid Jensen. She is a half-Romulan Scandinavian science officer aboard the USS Cody. So, my name is Dri. I'm a Lieutenant Igor Petrenko from Ukraine. This is, uh, my name is John. I am Cadet Alejandro Roca Solano. I'm from Spain. I'm in the engineer department. Uh, I am Ensign Valentin Laurent. I am Ensign De Los Santos. So my name is uh, Trist. I'm a doctor. Um, I'm Argelian. So I'm a Vulcan. My name is Tapru. 
Commander's Log, Stardate 7165.4. We put in at Starbase 11, where Starfleet confirmed my assignment as commander of the USS Cody. Apparently, there were no officers of higher rank available to relieve me. However, we did receive a new officer of lieutenant rank. We are now underway from Starbase 11, having received a set of sealed orders and instructions to proceed with all possible haste to a set of coordinates. Upon arrival, the sealed orders are to be opened and followed to the letter. All right, so then the crew settled in for their journey. Setting course at warp six. So yeah, you guys just kind of, uh, you listen to some uh, some Star Trek music. We're gonna have yeah. some movie nights. <laughs> mm -hmm. go bowl there's a bowling alley in the ship, I'm sure. Cool. Have a bowling bowling. Thing. Can we all roll for our bullet? Who's the best in bowling? <laughs> we do karaoke too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can watch some Star Trek. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> on TV. I want to roll a 20 for how good I am at bowling. Okay. High or low? I rolled a four. You're trying to roll low or high? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> It's a, it's See, the, 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 role, the role is meaningless unless you declare it. I'm trying to roll high. Okay. Oh, I'm amazing at bowling, guys. <laughs> That's why. I'm like a natural. That's why you're temporarily in command. I did roll a natural 20 for how good I was at bowling. I think everybody needs to know that. Well, you wouldn't fudge a roll on such an important... Uh, I think I took um, a picture of it. Like I, I photographed it, and Eric saw it. So there. Yeah. How okay. Well, it's established. Like I said, it's canon. <laughs> it is canon. Our timeline. Um. Then the commander joined the bridge crew as the ship neared its destination. Yes, we have uh, uh head on the coordinates given. We've been traveling at warp six for the past five days. Um, we are approaching the coordinates now, and I believe we just initiated a scan. Ava, can you report yeah. on the scan? Scan reported of a strange anomaly. Is that what it was? Yeah, gravitational anomaly. Gravitational anomaly. Commander, I suggest we open the letter. I think it is time. Oh, Dave, you missed it that I'm the best bowler. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was established. That's canon now. It's canon. <laughs> I rolled a natural 20. Well, nobody else had a roll-off, so let's be real. You well, why don't you roll them? See if you can beat a natural 20. <laughs> Maybe I can tie with you. Let's see it. I, I, I hope that for you. What are these guys rolling for? Bowling. Wow. This, could, this cadet knows what's oh. up. I got a six. I'm yeah. <laughs> I can I'm just see Lieutenant Tapru. This game is not entirely logical, but it is quite simple once one grasps the physics behind this ball. It's amazing that you knew exactly what I said. So who is uh, uh, my number one? I am. You are. So I hand you the envelope with our orders. The order says, whatever you do, do not play bowling. <laughs> the best bowler gets a monetary prize. Shall we play at nine pins? So the ship is, is now approaching its destination, and it runs into a little bit of trouble. Captain. Black uh, I'm having trouble keeping our keep, keeping our ship on course. Uh, there's a there's some sort of um, uh, some sort of magnetic pull that's trying to take us off course. Back us off, uh, 
to another um, uh, higher orbit, um, at least one uh, astronomical unit. Aye, sir. Commander McDonald, I'm receiving some kind of uh, some sort of pulse over the uh, the comms. It doesn't seem to be from an intelligent source. Well, it could be from the uh, from the Commander. star here. Neutron stars. Commander, I think it's wise to share the contents of this letter with the rest of the crew. I concur. Why don't you share it? Top secret to the commander of the USS Cody. On Stardate 7139.2, the starship USS Hood was ordered to your present coordinates on a top secret mission to investigate the astronomical phenomenon of two rotating neutron stars, first reported by a Federation scout in the area. Using instruments provided to them by Starfleet Intelligence plus their own ship sensors, they were instructed to obtain information about the magnetogravitic structure of the system and how it affected the fabric of space in this area. It is believed by a number of Federation scientists that such a series of magnetic gravitic effects can create under the proper conditions a space a time-space interface, such as that experienced by the starship USS Enterprise near Tholian space on Stardate 5693.4. A greater understanding of this effect is considered vital importance. At some time during their observations, the hood became caught in the gravitational field of the system and was drawn in. Before they were trapped, they managed to launch a message buoy. The buoy transmitted the news of their plight by subspace radio once it was out of the system's magnetic field. Security restrictions made it impossible for them to send back their gathered data in this manner, however. The crew of the Cody is instructed to move the ship close enough to the rotating stars to locate the hood. If possible, they are to beam aboard a party of volunteers to recover coded records from the engineering, medical, life sciences, physics, and chemistry departments, plus important summaries to be found in the possession of the ship's captain. Computer code words for retrieval of this top secret data are provided with these orders. According to the data provided with the Hood's message, the ship was likely to be drawn into an interface area believed to exist at the center of formations like the one they were observing. The hood was provided with drugs devised to combat the madness-inducing effects of close proximity to the interface area. But the hood reported that such drugs were proving to be less effective as duration elapsed, uh, elapsed, to the phenomenon increased. Thus, those survivors on board the hood are unlikely to exist. Such survivors are to be considered dangerous and are considered expendable. Individual crew members of the USS Cody are also considered expendable, but this information must be retrieved and returned to the Intelligence Corps officer at Starbase 11. Thus, the survival of the Cody is of a primary importance, as it is the only capital ship capable of such a mission presently in the quadrant and near enough to help. Excuse me, Commander, Cadet um, Roca Solano. Um, what, what do they mean by expendable? <laughs> <laughs> it, it means... We are all red shirts. We start off by uh, scanning the area and see if we could locate the hood. Um, we may need to go uh, closer in to the neutron stars. Our uh, navigation officer should be prepared to uh, compensate for uh, for any instabilities we, we encounter. Commander, we've had uh, we're now within range to have all of our subspace radio uh, transmissions jammed. Uh, now I see the need for the buoy in terms of communicating information back to Starfleet. Um, yeah, I suggest that we um, start recording uh, all our actions for uh, uh, posterity and in case we need to uh, put them in the buoy and, and send, send it away. Indeed, Commander. I will uh, backdate those recordings to uh, 
just before we entered into the uh, influence area of the phenomena. These readings are very fuzzy, but I do have some indication that there might be a ship trapped in the center of flow-sitting stars. Well, let's, uh, let's proceed in closer, but let's also you know, watch the gravitational uh, fluctuations, and we want to be prepared to adjust our, our navigation you know, at a moment's notice should we need to. Computer projects that uh, the hood will remain stable for five hours before shifting again, as long as it's not further disturbed by warp power or weapons fire. Great. I relay that information. I will, I will be sure not to engage our warp engines until we are done with our mission. Members of the crew began to experience space madness, so they decided to take their counteracting medication and begin their mission before time ran out. Yeah. Well, so I think we should Let's go on an adventure. Hmm. Regardless, <laughs> we all need to take a dose of the medicine, right? Yes. Well, everybody and everybody on the ship needs to take a dose of the medicine, and those on the landing party um, need to take a stronger dose. Exactly. Perfect. Let's do that. If you're okay with that, Commander. Yeah. And I think if two people are, are going to be staying back, as much as I'd love to go on ad- adventure in, in a strong gravitational force, I'll let the uh, red shirt, I mean, cadet take my place. And then I'll, I'll uh, the navigator. I do have, I am an engineer and even though I'm wearing science colors and I have transporter theory as well as uh, astronomy and navigation. I, I also have na- navigation. Okay. So the commander- the commander will be staying, and Ancelor uh, and Laurent will be staying. I'll man the helm. And then everybody else is going to go. Communication can't penetrate the magnetic interference of the ship, so there won't be any way to communicate between the two vessels. All right, so, Commander, can you beam us out of there in two hours and 48 minutes? As long as I can get a lock. In order to round out the away team, a red shirt ensign was assigned to the crew. Hey, you guys, um, I just need to point out that Eric did a random name generator for the red shirt, and he came, the, it actually said the name that came up was Dick Hull. Really? Dick Hull? <laughs> parentheses Dick Hull. <laughs> it's still funny. Oh my gosh. Um, The team reviewed their objectives. They needed to gather data from computers scattered throughout the ship in a short period of time, so they decided to split up into small teams. Let's do it. We all high five like in the air. (laughs) Nerds. (laughs) (laughs) I missed that. That's awesome. So, De Los Santos, Dick Hall, and... (laughs) And where did you guys get that name he, generator? He found he like Googled random name generator because he okay. was doing it for code words too, which comes up later. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a good nautical name, right? Hull. Dick, uh, Dick Hull, would Dick. you like to speak up? Dick is a good pirate name. <laughs> uh, so well, we had Richard, uh, Richard parentheses Dick. So that's his nickname, Hull. Right. Oh my gosh. So for our audience, better. so we had uh, we have seven pods on the transporter, and we had uh, nine players. Is that right? No, we had eight players. So, um, but we needed Eric to stay back at helm, Laurent to stay on helm, um, Dave's character, uh, McDonald, uh, decide, uh, volunteered to stay and man the transporter, 
right? And of course, there's other crew on the ship or whatever, but for the seven to go on the away mission, we had the other six player characters and then one more slot. So Eric made a, uh, a red shirt that just went along with it. Named right? Dick Hall. Named mm -hmm. Dick Hall, yeah. So so uh, he, along with De Los Santos and Jensen, were to go to the science labs to retrieve um, their memory chips. The information contained popped up on the screen. The intelligent core intends to use the information and attempts to create an interface condition under controlled conditions with an eye toward making a weapon out of it. An interface gun would be a powerful weapon, indeed, capable of making an entire ship, perhaps a whole fleet, vanish out of space-time altogether. The reasons for tight security are immediately obvious. Lieutenant Tapru, we have acquired the data from special studies, uh, and we will be shortly uh, moving down to, what is it, biology? Botany, Hi. thank you. Tapru and Roca Solano head to engineering on deck six. There they see what looks to be some ghostly members of the crew phasing in and out of vision. Lieutenant, you saw that, right? I'm not, I'm not going crazy, right? That was... No, you're not going crazy was, yet. You will in a few hours. This is my first tour. Like, oh, what was that? Um, please maintain your calm, cadet. They were simply phasing. You'll probably go crazy great. like that in a few hours if we don't get off the ship. So prepare yourself emotionally for that. Let's continue to engineering, please. Um, cadet, please refrain from touching any of those corpses. Thank you. With your hands. Yeah, with your bare hands. <laughs> don't let, don't open any closets. Don't let a dead body fall on you. Don't touch your face. <laughs> don't touch your face. Yes, and I specifically don't do any of those things. Suddenly, three crewmen phase into reality in front of them. They're crazed with space madness and immediately attack. They fire phasers and stun one, and Tapru neck pinches another. They suddenly remember that phasers could cause their reality to shift, so they holster their phasers and restrain the last crazed crewmen with fists. I think in one party, <laughs> yeah. Um, I would advise against using your phasers. We don't know what the energy of our phasers might do in this um, situation. Copy um, that, Lieutenant Tapru. What, what do you mean using our phasers? What did you use them on? Oh, we just encountered uh, three hostile, deranged crew members who appeared to be ghosts, then phased into reality, uh, attacked us immediately, and then phased out when we defeated them in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Good. I need another dose of that drug. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Trist and Igor Petrenko head to the medical lab on deck five. Hey, did you, did you see that? No, no, what? What was that? Did you see it? I didn't, but I believe you. I saw another one. Ah, it's creepy. Wow. Trist and Petrenko finds the data from the medical officer. Code accepted. Working. So again, the uh, this the information is uploaded onto a data chip, which eventually pops out, um, and information flashes on the screen. In his report, the medical officer notes that he is doubtful current ships could carry adequate shielding against the effects of the interface to make its use as a weapon practical. Okay. A personal note appended to the information soundly denounces the whole idea as stupid and totally without merit and contrary to everything Starfleet stands for. Again, apparently they have a crotchety doctor with very <laughs> strong opinions. Apparently. 
Meanwhile, on the Cody, Ensign Laurent momentarily loses control of the ship and takes damage to the port aft. What's going on up there? Captain, I'm, I'm trying to hold her steady. Uh, I'm afraid I, I, I lost course for just a moment. I'm bringing her back. Carry on. Make it so. De Los Santos, Jensen, and Dick Hall headed to their next objective, which is deep in the ship on deck 18. The turbo lifts were not active, so they had to walk the whole way. On the way, they encountered more ghostly crewmen. You see, you see one ghost, and, but it's 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 uh it's definitely just floating, and you can't hear it, and it's it's kind of ghostly looking. It doesn't it doesn't uh, it looks at you like violently, but it's not like shooting white ectoplasm at us. Oh no, that's Dick Hole that does that. Sorry. <laughs> Gross. Uh, meanwhile, Tapru and Roku Solano have activated the turbo lifts and use one to head to deck sixteen. Like, did you guys turn that on? Is this thing safe to use? Um, yes, it's safe to use through extensive hard work be- between the two of us. We've re-enabled the turbo lift. Back to De Los Santos, Jensen, and Decal. They take advantage of the newly repaired turbo lifts to head to deck 18. Once they step off the turbo lift, they encounter three more deranged crewmen. Um, I'm going to try and karate chop one of them. How about like, like drop kick them or just like jump against yeah. the wall and then kick yeah, just across the wall and like wrap my legs this? around their neck. <laughs> wrap your leg around very neck. very sensually. Wow, <laughs> twist them to the floor. Jesus, crush the skull between my thighs. <laughs> I'm gonna roll for wood. <laughs> Fourteen. All right, respectable wood. Yeah. Uh, is that all you're going to do this round? Is we're just roll for the wood? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm definitely a little stunned by that. I'm going to run in and I'm going to try to stab B in the throat with uh, my combat knife. Yeah, I'm going to attack him. I'm going to take okay. my high heeled boot, just uh-huh. step on his foot, okay. grind it in there, and then just smack him in the face. Like, from okay. Behind. So. After dispatching the crazed crewman, a crew romance begins to bud. Uh-oh. I am, however, going to use my wild charisma, and I'm going to propose on the spot to uh, <laughs> to Ensign, uh, Ensign Jensen. Okay. Wow. This, like, Nordic beauty that she is. Can we think about it? I'm I mean, pro- I've shown you what I bit... have. You haven't shown me much. That's right. Oh, I know. I'm probably quite a bit shorter than you, too, so I don't know if you're okay with that. So, luckily... Uh, I, as Game Master, was able to pull out game rules for uh, how to uh, roll for a romance. So oh. if the number obtained for the for Ava is less than the number obtained for Aaron, it is. then the pass is successful. And then, um, Ava, you then fall in love. Oh, is oh. she flattered? Well, we are surrounded by flowers, aren't we? You That's are. Very, you are in a very romantic, very romantic setting. setting. Yeah, there's there's the bodies of slain crewmen all over the place. <laughs> You're covered in pa- blood. Uh, Ensign Dick Holes over here just feeling like a third wheel. He is a third wheel. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Thanks, red shirt. Oh yeah, Hull's gonna make a pass too. Fail. I'm not impressed with your Dick Hole. Petrenko and Doctor Triss reach the captain's quarters, but it is locked from the inside with no way to open it. All right. Is that so where my use- laser rifle comes in handy? 
Oh my god, him with the laser rifle was amazing. <laughs> I know. Well, this is where him not being familiar with Star Trek really came out. He's just like, oh, I picked this off the equipment <laughs> list. A laser rifle. <laughs> We're like, what? <laughs> you can't use that. <laughs> well, he did. So, despite his enthusiasms, he used his awesome weapon. It's determined that the laser rifle will actually take too long, whereas a regular phaser will only take 10 minutes. However, with each passing minute, there's a chance for the phaser to disrupt the space-time anomaly. Okay, so minute one, nothing happens. Oh, man. Minute two, nothing happens. Still cutting. Minute yeah. three, nothing happens. Very lucky. Minute uh. four, nothing happens. Minute five, minute six. Oh, something happened in minute six. Oh my God. Oh no. Lieutenant Triss, you, you flicker and fade away out of existence. No. Petrenko. Wait, I opened my stasis box. I opened my stasis box. <laughs> Do Dr. Triss just fades box. away? You, you do find something in your stasis box, uh, Triss. It's a, a wand. A, a one and a half foot black wand with a metallic tip. Huh. Okay. That could be Is good in your cabin. Magical. Waving it <laughs> I wave it around. <laughs> Is it as you crazy? as you hold it in your hand, if if you like squeeze it a little bit, it it hums. Doctor Triss is now floating in the void of an alternate dimension. Commander McDonald, um, I am seeing Doctor Triss, uh, but like I'm. But she seems transparent or like a ghost. I don't, and, and she's holding what, a wand. What, I, I'm sorry, sir. I'm 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 going to keep on just just polying the ship. What do you mean you you, you see her? She's Which, she's over on the hood. Helmsman Laurent is so disturbed at seeing the ghostly form of Doctor Triss that he loses control of the ship again. The transporter that Lieutenant McDonald was manning takes damage. Dave, does your is your uniform ripped? Is my uniform um, Oh, yes, yes. You are the captain, it's, after all. It's, it's ripped, and it exposes my... My, uh, my... nipple? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Perfect, Dave. Perfect. <laughs> Ideal. Back on the hood, Pachenko resumes cutting through to the captain's quarters. Okay, well, after freaking out for a minute, I uh, pick up the phaser if that's still laying around if not i grab my laser rifle and i say amateurs and i start hunting on seven nothing happens on eight nothing happens on nine nothing happens andre can you roll like a, a dex check <clears throat> i rolled under very good. All right, minute 10. Here we go. All right, Tris, can you roll uh, roll a, a strength check? Sure. I pass. Great. Okay. So um, you phase back into the... Uh, Yay. Back into existence. Oh, thank Hooray. God. Great. Hooray. Yay. So Petrenko has finally broken through to the captain's quarters. Dr. Tris has also phased back into existence. So there they are. 
The information they find reveals that the power required for the weapon the Hood was developing is far beyond what any ship currently existing can produce, approaching that created by an, an entire major industrial world. I'm communicating to the rest of the group that we have um, retrieved the other information and are heading back to the rendezvous point. Excellent. Uh, Ensign Jensen and I have a thing going, and then also she just killed three guys, and uh, we're going to get the data and meet you guys back there in a minute. Um, what do you mean you have a thing going? Nothing. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk later. I'll, I'll tell you all about it. All right. Hold on, guys. I got to pull up the, the picture of the bot botany section. It's very romantic. Let's and see. covered in blood spatter, you know, extra so. <laughs> Far be it for me to judge. Uh, I'm going to pick a flower off of one of the bushes nearby and give it to Ensign Jensen. Okay. Wow. I fixed uh, it in my hair. <laughs> Having retrieved all the data they came for, the crew heads back to the bridge to make the predetermined teleporter rendezvous time. The away team is unaware that Lieutenant McDonald is madly trying to repair the teleporter as Helmsman Laurent struggles to maintain control of the ship. So navigation, let me know when we're in range. Wait, what? what's happening? Where are we going? What? What are you doing up there? As the away team waits anxiously for the teleporter to engage, six deranged crewmen appear in front of them. Can we reason with them? <laughs> they are insane. They're mad. Who else? Orko Solano is seven. Yep. That's right. Oh my god. <laughs> he's, he's, he's cowering in a corner. Or he's John, are you going to fire? Is are he you like one-legged? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> he just peed himself. No, I'm just a kid. <laughs> I'm going to stand in front of him like he's a little baby. Let's keep him in the middle. It's like a pack protecting the baby, like a herd. You know, we'll put him in the middle. All of us will face outward. <laughs> I totally missed that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing. <laughs> Lieutenant McDonald finally has the teleporter online and tries to bring the crew back to the Cody. I'm pushing on the levers and, and I'm getting a little smoke coming up from the pads and, and it's starting to and, So uh, to Prue and Santos materialize along with four uh, of the insane people. Right. <laughs> oh, shit. The crew on board the Cody subdue the deranged crewmen that beamed over, and back on the hood, they also subdue the deranged crew members that they uh, had, were left with there. Finally, the whole landing party is safely back aboard the Cody, even Dick Hall, the token redshirt. Important. In an act of mercy, the crew beam aboard 14 deranged crewmen from the hood directly into a sealed cargo hold, which had been pumped full of the gaseous form of the medicine. The crew must now decide what to do with the plans they recovered for the incredibly powerful weapon. So from what we could see from the sciences angle of it, it, it the, the weapon itself is incredibly unethical and dangerous. What about engineering? Uh, we wouldn't be able to power it. It would take the power of a major industrial world. So yeah, it's wow. illogical. Well, do we have the computer chip that describes the whole phasing process? Between, between all the data you've received, yeah, you basically do. Well, I got. I was going to say, I think we should take that and vaporize it with a phaser. You're saying destroy the chips? 
save the chips that describe the effects on people and other life forms and uh, save the chips that describe other scientific things. But as far as the chip, you know, that describes the military aspects of it, I say we pretend like we never, never found it. Lieutenant McDonald makes his decision not to give the weapon plans to Starfleet and destroys them. He takes full responsibility for this decision, despite the rest of the crew voicing their disagreement. Yeah, that, that was really interesting, wasn't it? Yeah, it uh, it was the first time I think we encountered like a moral dilemma where everybody was really role, role-playing it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think well, it and helped it- that we had talked about some of the Starfleet... Um, kind of rules or directives earlier yeah so i will go right back to this um but uh, i just wanted to mention that at the end of the session everyone got their experience points right and three of the crew actually got to level up they actually got to go up in rank to lieutenant and that was tris laurent and de los santos so they've all been with us since the beginning of the campaign and um yeah so now we have six lieutenants and Two ensigns or an ensign and a cadet? We're not really sure. I think an ensign and a cadet. Yeah. Well, I don't know if he he leveled up. I guess we'll have to figure that out. I think he's basically an ensign. He just wants to role play it as a cadet. Yeah. It's kind of a fun little <laughs> shtick. It's kind of the Wesley of the group. And the chief engineer. Yes. Well, luckily, the the commanding officer, that's Dave's character, is, is an experienced engineer. So he can run down and uh, fix everything if the <laughs> cadet screws it all up. So that works yeah, out really nicely. Well, let's move on to our next segment, Humanity on Trial. Dave, (laughs) we've established a segment modeled after an idea common to many Star Trek episodes, you know, in which a superior species tests the worthiness of humankind. Now, I've said that we can vote between the three of us which one of us ought to go on a trial to answer for his or her actions in the last game section. But actually, I try and stack the deck so that our guest host, that's you, Dave, (laughs) <laughs> really stands out as someone who took some extraordinary action. Just to reiterate, everyone else in the game disagreed with your decision at the end there. Well, hold on. Let me back up. Is everyone okay with us putting Dave on trial here? Yeah, Anyone sorry, want to vote Dave. for someone else? No, <laughs> yeah. I love you, Dave, but you're on trial. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Now, actually, Starfleet did, uh, you know, it, it did all work out okay. Starfleet actually, because you decided to give them the evidence that it was uh, impractical and 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 uh, unfeasible, that they basically kind of dropped the whole question of what happened to the actual uh, tech. So that, that worked out for you, but it seems like the whole rest of the crew disagreed. Sarah Nicole, you want to talk about why uh, you felt that the whole evidence should be handed over? Sure. Um, I, I felt like my character would, as a Vulcan, and I, I thought that I would feel like all the evidence needed to be given to Starfleet because that's what we had been commanded to do, and that was the logical thing to do to let Starfleet make their own decision, and that we weren't in any place to make a decision of that much gravitas, I guess. But I feel like a lot of people had differing opinions about why we shouldn't give or why we should give the evidence to Starfleet. And so that was kind of interesting that people were kind of all disagreeing (laughs) with um, Dave, but all disagreeing for different reasons. 
Do you think, so was it mainly that they were afraid of sticking their own necks out, that they would be afraid of disciplinary action? Or is it more that they thought it was the moral and correct thing to do to just trust the higher ups to make the right decision and, uh, and just follow their orders? I, th I think it was the latter. I think that people were thinking it would be nobler to actually give it. Although Dave was making an argument that it was nobler to not give it. So I don't know. It was like lively discussion. It was a nice debate. It was, it was a more quandary. Yeah. Dave, we've been role-playing with you for a long time, uh, mainly with Dungeons and Dragons. And I felt like with this game, you really came out of your shell more than I've ever seen you. I mean, all that stuff about like, well, back up to one astronomical unit and, and you kind of like, you, you really hit your stride. You knew exactly the genre and how to say it like, what's going on up there and all that sort of stuff. It was like, it just nailed it. Uh, tell us about your history with Star Trek. Well, you know, I've, I've been around a, a little bit longer well, a lot longer than some of the other folks. And okay. when the original Star Trek series came out, I was in elementary school. And I remember watching the original series when it was brand new. Uh, one of the things about Star Trek that I really liked, that well, that most people, everybody liked at the time, was that prior to that, all the science fiction stuff was somebody going out in space, meeting a evil and, and you know, blowing them up and basically search and destroy type stuff. Uh, Star Trek, when it came out, the thing that really made it different was its message of hope, its message that there was something good in the future. There was something good about... Uh, humanity about well about different planets you know that the the federation you know all these different species getting together it was the first tv show that had a black woman as a main character and an asian sulu as a main character and you know so it had all these th things that were you know just for the time was revolutionary yeah i i love all those things about it too dave when I, when I think about Star Trek, it's that um, that optimism, that future that you want to live in, that really is is the hallmark of Star Trek to me. Yeah, and I hope so, we can nail some of those points in this game. So I started watching it, you know, when I was in elementary school, and then it was it actually it wasn't until I was in college that um, you know the Next Generation came out, and I was a big fan of it when it came out. And so I've, I've been watching the whole thing from the beginning. <laughs> so I, I think just some of my familiarity and I don't know, just love of the series is one thing that I, that I like about this, this series of games. Yeah. Well, I'm so thrilled that we're able to do this. So you really, um, you hit, you paid very close attention to the three different um, bits of uh, evidence that the crew pulled in and you came up with kind of an ingenious solution not to withhold all the evidence or not to give them all of it, but to withhold the one bit and give them the, the, the rest in, in the designer's note in this module, this is kind of interesting. The designer writes about what he thinks Kirk would have done or what he thought Spock would have done. I'm not necessarily sure I agree, but it's, it's kind of interesting. He says, 
If Kirk were involved, he would most likely do his duty and turn in the information, but he would raise an incredible fuss, perhaps jeopardizing his career in the process. With his clout due to his phenomenal record, he would be likely in the end to win out and probably could at least get the idiot bureaucrats who planned the mission demoted to apprentice deck scrubbers. And he says, Spock, who abhors any unnecessary endangering of life, would be even more profoundly affected, but he would approach things from a logical Vulcan standpoint. It would not be out of character for him to take matters into his own hands and find an eminently logical way to have the evidence accidentally destroyed before it could be turned over to the fleet. I like that. Yeah, he's always taking matters into his own hands. Well, it's sort of like, Dave, you, you did both, situ both solutions in a way. You withheld the uh, evidence and you, you found a way to say, well, it was, it was damaged in the transport or whatever. But you also, it seemed to me like you were going to go and make your case to the higher ups if they were going to give you a problem and, and tell them that it was, it was just a bad idea anyway. Is that how you imagined your character? Yeah. Well, you know, looking at some of the, the episodes, you know, in like the Mark of Gideon episode, Spock was under orders and he specifically went against orders to do what, what he felt was right. In The Next Generation, Picard several times did, but you know this one was real close to uh, the episode with the Poseidon, you know, where they were developing a, you know, a cloaking device, a phasing cloaking device. And when Picard found out about it, you know, said, wait, no, <laughs> I'm not gonna follow orders. In fact, I'm not gonna keep it secret. I'm going to tell the, the Romulans who are waiting for us right outside all about it. I think that was just in character with, you know, the whole Star Trek theme. And also it's what I would have done, <laughs> you know, personally in a situation like that. Yeah. I was going to ask if, you know, so Lieutenant Fogler yeah, I, was... I loved it. I, go ahead. Fine, go ahead. Go. I liked that you brought up a lot of precedents. I liked that you, when we were actually role-playing the game, you paused a minute and you're like, there's a lot of times that this actually happens in Star, in Star Trek. And I agreed with you. And I love that you made that decision. I did not think my character would agree with that decision, right? And so I role-played against you, which also makes a better dynamic for a first officer and a captain, I think, that I am going to challenge your decisions, right? But in my little Star Trek-loving heart, I was like, yeah, Dave, get it! Like, perfect! Yeah, so one of the things we really talked about in our early episodes was about how the rank structure was going to work and how we really liked... Dave being at the top of the rank structure because he mostly doesn't uh, really impose his will on everybody else um, and, and listens to advice and lets people, uh, you know, in the various departments take have their own head, which which works really well. But here was a situation which was which was not that everyone else in the crew disagreed, but this was really as as commander, this was his decision to make, and he heard everyone's opinion but then he stuck to his guns. And that was just the coolest thing about it to me was, was having that much conviction. You know, for me, that, as I said, that was one thing that I personally would have done in that situation. But also, you know, I think that sort of action, you know, was in line with the classic commanders on Star Trek, you know, whether they were Kirk or Picard or whomever tended to be the same way. They would listen to their, to the other members of the crew and then they would make a decision. And oftentimes it would be a difficult decision. And, you know, they would make it clear that, you know, the responsibility was all theirs. And that was one thing that I really liked about the show and that, that I, 
you know, made me really respect the, you know, the characters. Do you guys think, so when we started the game, we read the, uh, the general orders, the Starfleet general orders. And do you think that set the tone for the game? Or do you think, you know, as I was reading through it, it was like, oh, no, they usually break that one. No, they usually break that one. Do you think it's just idiomatic to Star Trek that the rules are kind of there to be broken? That you really have to uh, kind of internalize them and, and follow the spirit of them rather than uh, the letter of the rules being enforced? I think sometimes we follow, well, I think in the series we're following explorer ships or we're following characters who are rule breakers because it makes good TV, right? Because when you talk about the rest of Starfleet or the people they're dealing with, all this rule breaking always seems very shocking. Like when they have a calm conversation with somebody who's back on earth or somewhere else, it's always like how that like, it's always very shocking to other people that this behavior is happening. So I think we just generally follow in TV people who are bending the rules or breaking the rules because it makes for much more interesting storytelling, right? So if we think of it from that kind of perspective, then yes, we should be breaking the rules quite frequently, right? Because it's going to make for a more interesting story. But I think knowing that those rules exist and that we can be held to those rules at any time also creates a really interesting role play dynamic. Any thoughts on that, Dave? Well, there's, there are two types of rule breaking. There's the, you know, type, uh, you know, like in this episode at the end, um, where it's a, a moral decision where the rule is clearly not right. And so you have to make a decision, you know, to consciously break the rule. Then there's the casual rule breaking, which, uh, like Sarah Nicole said, is you know, it makes things more interesting and and more fun. If if you toe the line all the time, yeah, it'd be kind of a dull game. And then there can be also the uh, intentional, how should I put it, uh, evil rule breaking, <laughs> where you know you're breaking the rules uh, for your own gain. I, my, my knowledge of Star Trek is not as encyclopedic as you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much just only seen the original series. And it seems to me like they try not to have um, the bureaucracy uh, of, of, of the Federation be uh, untrustworthy like that. So that might be more idiomatic to the later series. But there is, a, there is an episode of The Next Generation which I saw called Justice. Do you guys remember this? It's like the sex planet that Wesley's on. And uh, he gets a death penalty. Yeah. Where well, he then, jumps, in, where he like falls into the grass. Yeah. He's playing that game. Yeah. They're like, I want you to teach us something. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's one of those episodes which which ends on that like like oh, I don't know like I don't really know what the answer was but uh, we did our best which is kind of cool but but I think Picard says something like um, there could be no justice as long as the laws are absolute. Right, and I think that that uh, applies here, doesn't it? The idea that um, the the laws can't be absolute; that there has to be that sort of human uh, uh, factor, and that maybe um, uh, justice in the future goes that way. Yeah, I th um, right now, as we've already mentioned on the podcast, we're re or we're watching Enterprise, and again, that's in a universe where these 
um, directives don't exist yet. And I am shocked almost every episode by like just blatant rule breaking and blatant disregard for authority and just complete like cowboy attitude of like the captain and crew in general, just like, oh, we're just gonna go explore and do whatever we want and haha and like the feeling of no consequences right like what is the consequence the consequence for them is they come back and they're still in starfleet i mean Mm -hmm. it's it's blowing my mind and i kind of don't like it because i'm like where are the rules because there's nothing to push against right so it's yeah it's a little less the, the the stakes aren't as high whereas i feel like like in next generation, especially Picard is always like pushing against the rules in such an intelligent manner that you're always having these huge debates, you know, like these moral dilemmas that are so interesting and fun to watch. And so I was super stoked that when you just told us that the author of this module had thought about what Picard, excuse me, what Spock would do and what Kirk would do, because the fact that he put this moral dilemma into the module for us to have is super exciting and that Dave picked up on it and cause that discussion and that role play to happen is super cool. Cause Dave could have just been like, okay, we go turn it in. Boop, boop, boop. Let's get our XP. And he was like, no more yeah. dilemma. Bam. Let's deal with this. Right. And that was cool. So that, what a neat thing. Like this is much more advanced than just like you're at a zoo. Let's find a box, kill some cats. Let's go. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's let Dave off the hook. Dave. You're not guilty. Unlike John from last week, there will be no no repercussions. So I don't know. I also vote you not guilty. Absolutely, as the opposite of guilty. Yeah. Well done, Dave. So definitely, um, in this module, he was trying to do uh, something different. It wasn't just a a um, a dungeon crawl. It wasn't really in the mold of D and D. It was still like an adventure um, yeah. on a map, but um, first of all, one of the things we often talk about is how much uh, how much of the written module came through in the game. And I want to say, I think you guys hit all the points, and that's really cool. They didn't really have to prompt too much for something like this to to come out in the game. Something like you know, what are you gonna do? Like, and and <laughs> everyone else in the game was like, oh yeah, we're handing it over, and that could have just been the end of it. Well, I liked one thing I liked in this particular one was uh, you know the use of the blueprints to explore around the the ship. Back when I was in high school, I got in fact I still have it somewhere. The, one of the original you know Star Trek uh, manuals, you know, with the with the blueprints and all that in it. And yeah, um, so I was actually already somewhat familiar with them. The thing that I noticed after we ended the game is actually we were uh, walking through uh, in a couple of places, the turbo turbo lift shafts instead of the hallways. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we entered um, through the turbo lift shafts rather than walking through the uh, main doorways. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, we all kind of got the gist and we all need to work on it a bit, but it's so cool. Yeah. Dave, whenever anyone would be like, which way do I go? You kind of be like, well, you go down the stairs and then you, you, you take a right and and there's actually only the only entrance is only on this level, but the section extends down to the next level. I'm kind of looking at it and I'm like, is all this information on there? Yeah, like well, I had a, I had a hard time reading those. So thank goodness, Dave, that you knew what you're doing because I looked at them and it was like rocket science. I had no idea. 
Well, I was thinking of, of both looking at the uh, blueprints, but also, uh, you know, in my head, I was thinking of, okay, what's it look like uh, on the sets? You know, what's it look like in the, in the show? Wow. Yeah, that's super wow, cool. That's, <laughs> that's amazing, Dave. So these blueprints, these were drawn by Franz Joseph, and they came out in 1975. Pretty mm -hmm. much the first tie-in product for Star Trek, other than sort of behind-the-scenes books, like, you know, the making of Star Trek or anything. He came out with a set of blueprints uh, that he hand-drafted and, um, and the technical manual. And so in, in some of the RPG materials I've seen in the late 70s, of course, D&D &D came out in 1974, and um, some of the earliest stuff where it talks about how to role-play in Star Trek or even just sci-fi in general, I've come across some things which say, you know what, why not bust out your Star Trek blueprints and have the, the, the party explore a derelict? Mm -hmm. So this is not an original idea to this adventure. In fact, there's some. Um, so we played both of the the mod, both of the adventures for the original Star Trek rules, and there aren't any more. This is the first one from the '80s. But the guy who designed the other ones also designed um, a module called the Derelict, which is not for Star Trek, but for something else. And I was kind of like, "Yeah, should we do it? Should we not?" And I decided not because it wasn't very Star Trekky. And lo and behold, the first module we come across. Um, in the Star Trek uh, universe is exploring a derelict. What are what are some things you liked about this adventure, Sarah Nicole? Um, I liked using the blueprint. I thought it added more, um, like, uh, it made it feel more like an actual Star Trek adventure. Um, yeah. I, I liked the way we handled or you handled the different groups going to different locations. And I liked the fact that it, I know we had kind of talked about uh, modules being sequels to episodes, but I liked having the yeah. context of the episode because I could really put myself into the world and I could really Yeah, that was the Tholian web. Doing. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. the episode we watched for our homework. And so I, I completely got it. Like I, I could see I, in my mind's eye, I could see what the, you know, the ghosts look like, you know, I, yeah. I felt like we were there and I felt like we were having a real like rip roaring original series adventure. Cause we were fighting bad guys and we had moral dilemmas and we were on a ship and yeah. it really felt like for the, this is the first time it really clicked in. And I felt like this is a Star Trek RPG, right? Yeah, because the other episodes, they were kind of like, this could happen in the Star Trek universe, but this wouldn't actually be an episode of Star Trek where this was going down in this way. Yeah. Oh, and I Here. loved getting the note too, like the sealed orders. Yeah. That was sexy. That was fun. Like, I want that all the time. That kind of stuff is like, <laughs> that's adventure, right? Yeah. Perfect. Well, just, just the way, like, Dave kicked right into gear with, like, you know, okay, here's, you know, here's what the helm should do and here's what the transporter should do. And, you know, Sarah Nicole, you were like, all right, we'll form teams and we'll all, you know, transport over. And I, I, it just all kind of, it flowed so well. There was so much info information, just it was packed into seven pages in the module. And it was like, well, you could like, there might be a thing where the helm has to do this. And um, I just kind of read through it once and then it all just came out in the game. I was like, it would now be a perfect time. Boom, you know, Eric, roll for your helm thing. And he'd roll bad and damage would happen. <laughs> and, you know, he'd make another approach and he would, he would pass his roll. And it was just like perfectly dramatic. Yeah. Yep. 
confession time here for me. I um, Uh-oh. Oh, no. did not have time and did not watch the Tolian web before the uh, the episode uh, or before the, the game. However, I'm thoroughly, thoroughly familiar with the episode. And, yeah, um, I think you're off the hook on that one too, yeah, Dave. I think you're right. Well, I was going to say that, that having not freshly watched it made the game better for me. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, and... And I think that's probably something unique to me because I, you know, have such familiarity with the, with the whole series and with the individual episodes. But for me, it made it fresher. It, it wasn't like acting out what was what's already been done or anything like that. It was uh, gave me the the freedom to do what I thought was best. Cool. One of the things I liked about it was actually D and D ish in a good way, and that was there were puzzles like you know you would start mm-hmm. to fire the phasers and, and then people would feel like, you know, a little bit like, uh Oh, like a hunch of that the ship was going to phase out. And, and so there was that sort of like tension constantly of everything that happened. There was like something to figure out. And, and that was not anti D and D ish. It was just not like cartoonishly D and D ish. It was just like, it was RPG ish, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I've definitely played D and D campaigns where they were more puzzle based or they were more mystery based even. I don't yeah. know how to say that right. Um, but our play style for our group has always been a little more dungeon crawl, um, yeah. a little completionist almost. Um, and so to have not only have a universe that was different, a rule set that's different, but now starting to really click into the RPG elements. And then to have things like those puzzles or mysteries we have to figure out was very fun. I agree with you so hard on that tension because I felt that. And it's so exciting when you're playing a game with people. And right now we're spread out all across the town, right? Like all across the country. Yeah. And we're we able to, to the still same college play. anymore. <laughs> we don't go to the same college anymore. I wish we did. Um, but to be able to create those feelings of tension or create those feelings of almost theater and yeah. to actually have emotional responses when we're all sitting in our houses on headsets, that is so cool. Yeah. Right? Okay. Anyway, soapbox done. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely. <laughs> I loved stuff like, you know, so everyone had a different had different things to do. And it was cool that there were three different areas and we could send three different groups to the the different areas. Well, there were more than three, but either way, um, everyone had maybe two different places to hit on the ship. And, um, and basically, you know, we're trying to get through each of these adventures in a single night. This one obviously worked great, but even so, you're able to kind of zoom in and out, right? And the beginning of the adventure be like, okay, well... Which way are you going? I'm turning right. I'm going down the stairs. You know, here I am at a door. Does it open? You know, how many bodies are around? And then as we get along in the evening, we can be like, okay, well, you guys, you know, you make your way back to the to the ship to the uh, bridge or whatever. Um, even as the as the time went on, there were combats, and it was like, okay, I don't really want to roll through the combat. You guys survive, or you <laughs> subdue the people. Let's get onto the good stuff. So, so that kind of worked out just fine, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I like the, you know, the, the exploration as, aspect of it, the exploring the ship. And, you know, for instance, like, um, you know, the, the party that went to the en- engineering room first. Well, you know, on the ship, there's actually three different engineering rooms. And as it turned out, the first engineering room wasn't the correct one. And so then they had to 
figure out how make how to make it down to the other engineering room and that was the correct one so they never had to go to the third engineering room yeah. um, but you know just the whole you know aspect of the exploration and you know th that part of it was kind of a puzzle in itself was you know how to how to get from one location to another once you're there then what to do and in familiarizing yourself with the hood you're really also familiarizing yourself with the Cody so that's that's going to be our starship home and it's you know it's a different a slightly different design but basically um it's an adventuresome way to to familiarize yourself with your own ship so that's kind of cool now people will know you know oh i'm heading down to engineering section and they'll kind of like know the way yeah that's cool i like it <laughs> i liked i liked how it worked out again with splitting the party it was a it was a thing where I, I thought it would go badly because like poor Dave he was stuck back on the ship um, all by himself he won't have anything to do this session and lo and behold like who stands out in this whole adventure not just for the moral quandary at the end but all the dang stuff with the transporter you know <laughs> Eric's like flying the I'm ship so and like running into trouble the, the the transporter is blowing up and then um, at the end. He made a decision to try and beam some of the ghosts, you know, modify the transporter to, to try and grab as many as he could with the transporter. And so that was really like, again, he was really the hero of the whole adventure. Mm -hmm. I, I really loved that. And then, and then we did the whole thing of, um, you know, in the Tholian web, uh, Kirk has a pre-recorded message for Bones and Spock. Like right now, this is probably, it's probably a crisis. And you guys are probably thinking this, you're probably feeling this. Here's a message for you, Spock. Here's a message for you, Bones. So we went, we ran with that conceit and said that Dave had pre-recorded directions um, of how to get from one engineering section to the other, or how to get from the the special studies lab to the botany section, and and uh, and it was you know it was kind of fun, and it was better than um, uh, pretty much any other solution of of anyone else trying to to guide anyone because Dave really is the man, but it didn't really break uh, suspension of disbelief you know in hindsight it was kind of like uh three or four routes which would you know uh theoretically could have been predetermined i liked and it a lot i i thought it was great i i don't like it when people are left behind and don't get to play yeah so i liked that you had eric play a red shirt as well as check in with the helm sometimes yeah and i like that dave still got to be part of it all of the action and I think that the pacing you're doing of how long you're spending with each group is really good because nobody's ever getting bored. You're still able to listen to what's happening to the other group and it's interesting and it doesn't get to the point where your mind wanders, you know, when yeah. you're with somebody else because you're pacing it really quick. I like that. I like little kind of mini sections or little quick check-ins with each group. We've tried playing board games with seven or eight people and they just don't flow the way an RPG can. Or you don't get to interact with everybody. You know what I mean? To me, RPGs are just the ultimate in that sense. Well, that was part of the magic of Star Trek show, too, is, you know, they, they usually had, you know, at least a couple of different plot threads going throughout the show. And they would, 
kind of jump back between you know the different threads. All the threads were you know going in the same direction and they were all interrelated, but you wouldn't just be stuck in one location or you know with one group the whole time. So to me that made it you know I don't know more authentic, you know the the, the game more authentic. Yeah. And then, and then seeing different groups uh you know mixing and matching different groupings of people, we get to see how they interact. Yeah. That's so much fun. Yeah. How their character would interact. <laughs> the the um, proposal was a, a real surprise to me. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Aaron? Yeah, well, I mean, flirting, yeah. Proposal, that was a surprise. <laughs> kind of. It was, it was dramatic. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, that goes. And one thing that I've got to say is that um, actually – I'm rather glad my character was killed off in uh, <clears throat> the uh, previous episode. As I think I mentioned about him, he was basically lovable village idiot. My current character is much more dynamic. Cool. I was going to ask that, Dave, because you mentioned that you played it basically, you made a decision that you would have made. And it didn't seem like Lieutenant Vogler was making the same kinds of decisions. <laughs> Well, I mean, he had an intelligence of six. <laughs> How did he end up in charge? Yeah. He, was, he was charismatic, right? Yeah, well, yeah, he, he was very charismatic. He, I think his charisma was something like 17 or, or 16 or 17, something like yeah. that. Yeah, like I say, he was a lovable village idiot. <laughs> I love that. So I... I I really like this. Uh, this character is much more balanced. Yeah. You mentioned about how in the show there's often multiple plots going on. Like in the Tholian web, there's the A plot, which is we need to get Captain Kirk back, right? And there's the B plot of the Tholians are going to catch us in their web if we don't resolve the A plot in time, right? Well, that and then there was also the uh, kind of the C plot, the dynamic between um McCoy and Spock. Oh, yeah. good point. Yep. Yeah. And and I thought in that adventure it kind of worked out a bit like that where there was um, you know, uh, they were kind of taking a cue from the episode but that the ship was going to blink out of existence and you had this window, you had the drugs are going to wear off and you had to make sure you met the the timing for the transporter and um all this other stuff and then there was it kind of turned out to be the A plot, the actual business with, well, with the ghosts, but also with the um, the weapon that they had developed. Yeah. So I liked how they had multiple different things going on, not just one simple like who done it. There was no real villain in the piece. I mean, sort of off-screen villains. Um, it was just you. You still have to fight crazy people, but they were also people you wanted to rescue in the end. They were yeah. just crew. Well, and, and I think that was uh, one of the things that sets this apart from, you know, a standard D&D type game. Whereas, you know, in D&D, yeah, you know, in a dungeon crawl, you're, anybody you meet, the first thing you think of is, you know, okay, let's blow them away, you know, or let's, yeah. uh, you know, cut them to pieces. Um, in this one, it was, they're a danger, but they're also people. They're also Starfleet crewman do we have to blow them away you know that the the order said they're expendable but you know is there some way that we can help them you know can we bring them back 
And so that's that's one thing I really really liked about this uh, this episode. Yeah, there was no con. Con was great, but when you try and like have a con in every episode, it, it starts to get like not very Star Trekky. We can edit that out later. <laughs> that didn't go well. That didn't go over well. What were some areas where you thought this, uh, where you still feel like you're waiting for more Star Trek elements that have not come in? I would say the the alien aspect. I mean, we kind of got it last week with Kazinti, but like more interact or um, not negotiation. Yeah, there it is. Um, diplomacy, I guess. Diplomacy. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that I feel like that's a big part of. Um, of Star Trek in general. So, I mean, I look forward to that or more opportunities for that. I'm trying to role play my character from a more alien perspective or like a more Vulcan mm. perspective. And so trying to do that, um, I'd like to see us, if any of us have alien aspects to our character, how we can really bring that to the forefront in our role play. Um, yeah. You know, but that's, that's, you know, to be expected, that's going to take some time. But other than that, I mean, this was, I had a lot of fun. This one was pretty good. You want to go ahead and uh, talk and, and give it a score? Do you want to tell Dave how we score things here? So Dave, we always rate our episode on a warp factor scale, one through 10. You want to start, uh, Sarah Nicole? Sure. I give this probably like a warp seven. I yeah. really liked it. I had a lot of fun. It felt like Star Trek. It was a good adventure. It had a moral dilemma. We got to argue in character. I got to net pinch things. Ava got to like wrap her legs around somebody and like break its neck. So I mean that's like everything <laughs> I'm looking for really. <laughs> there was romance. Was yeah, there was there was danger. The ship like crashed into something a little bit, you know, I don't know. It was yeah. just great for me. Like it, it was the first time where I was like, yeah, this is it. We're doing this now. So a plus for me, I, I can't give it like a, a nine or like, I'm not quite there yet, but I think a seven is, is pretty good for me. Yeah. What do you think, Dave? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. I'd give it a, Oh, probably a, a I'm probably a little more critical. Um, Things being more of a Trekkie type, uh, but I'd give it a, a warp six, warp seven. One thing that I thought it was lacking was the cerebral element. One of my all-time favorite original series episodes was uh, Balance of Power, mm. and mm. you know that was the one where the first time meeting the Romulans. I thought that was pretty much the whole episode was just on two sets, you know, in the Romulan bridge and on the Star Trek's bridge. Yeah. And that was it. And it was just the drama, cerebralness of it was, I thought, really good. This one had some some cerebral qualities to it, but it might be nice to see a little bit more. Done. Well, man, that, that's the tricky thing, isn't it? We don't know um, what the upcoming modules are going to be like, what, what they're going to bring to the table how awesome a Star Trek adventure can be. Yeah, this was a tricky one. It's obviously the best by far we've played. And between an eight and a nine. Ooh! I, I, because, because this was one of the first ones and it so thoroughly nailed it, and because it's just that classic idea of adventuring on basically the Enterprise, right? On, yeah. on the same class of ship. 
Um, I want to say this is one that it might not be the very, very best, but it's a classic. It's mm-hmm. a must play. Yeah. This, is, this is something that I think everyone is playing Star Trek should ex- basically experience this as one of their first, if not their very first adventure. So I think this would be a great first module for people. I definitely yeah. agree. This is a must play. So I'm going to give it warp factor nine. I would love, I would love for subsequent modules to also be nines and tens and, and off the charts, captain, you know, maybe I have to start doing 9.1, 9.2, 9.3. I would love for that to be the case. Um, and I kind of doubt it, but, but this was, it was not perfect. No episode of the show is perfect. No episode of the show has every aspect of Star Trek, you know, encapsulated in it. But it was a damn good one. It was so and it fun. played out really well. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that it was written in seven pages and um, everything that he had in mind happened and, and a lot more happened that just kind of rises naturally out of the gameplay. I didn't really have to add anything to it. Um, that to me is a is a great module. You know, one I thing felt that, like it was well written, and I felt like we were directed well in the gameplay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One thing that that just for me personally, I really enjoyed was the exploration of the ship. I mentioned I bought my own copy of the uh, Starfleet manual when I when it first came out. I was in high school, and you know, looking at those blueprints, you know, I would envision in my mind you know exploring through the ship you know i i studied them and you know with a magnifying glass and you know where all the different passages went you know the gangways the uh stairways i compared them to the to the show you know okay you know if if it shows this on the show they would have had to been in this part of the ship and it, it, it kind of took me back to all that. Yeah. That's what I mean by being a classic. Like that, that idea of, of pulling out the b- blueprints and adventuring on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool. And then the way he uh, riffed off the Tholian web with the ghosts and the interface and all those elements with the transporter and stuff really uh, was inspired. But it, it also felt like something that might actually happen, right? Even after watching the episode, yeah. you could see how this would be something that happened surrounding it, right? So it felt like we were part of the universe on a yeah. different adventure than the one we saw on TV, right? So mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was part of the world, and that's what I liked. It was. We still have sequelitis, but it's it's kind of nat. It, it kind of comes naturally here. Yeah, it's not and too heavy handed. And that doesn't bother me like it bothers you. I, I know. <laughs> well, that's our review of Ghosts of Conscience. And we hope you like what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. We want to hear from you. So visit our website at www.rpgpopclub.com or email us at rpgpopclub at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought or if there's a module you'd love for us to review. What module are we doing next week, Philip? That's a great question. It's the next module in the same adventure book, and it's called Again Troublesome Tribbles. <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. No. So what are we watching? We're watching The Trouble with Tribbles. Yay! Yay. So that should be a fun one.
Oh my goodness. Um, what do people say about that module though? Um, well, it's promising. One of the reviews I, I read said it's undoubtedly the most fun of the adventures in this book. Uh, maybe they just read it. They didn't know what they were missing out on with Ghosts of Conscience. Oh no! But they I... said they said it was the most fun, and they the one that they recommend starting players start out on gives them a great chance to learn the system, while offering few chances for them to get in serious trouble. Though that can happen. So, Ooh, who how knows? Exciting. I can't. Pretty win. sure our group can get in pretty serious <laughs> trouble, no matter what. Yeah, we might drive us it. We'll see. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, Dave. I had a great time. Yay. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Yeah.